I once vomited at the airport. My boyfriend at the time, a bold and inquisitive surfer just shy of 19, stood below the international departure sign at Melbourne Airport before leaving the country for Bali. Leaving me for Bali for a little over three months. When you're a teenager, three months feels like a life sentence. And so, when he eventually waved goodbye, I ran desperately toward the nearest bin. My heart crawled up and out of my mouth, but all that came out was phlegm and food scraps. That was a long time ago. Now, imagine this. It is 2015, two days before Christmas, and Heathrow Airport is buzzing. Young men and women with large backpacks and tired eyes scroll lazily on their phones. A child is crying somewhere, or many children crying everywhere, scattered throughout the bustling airport every few hundred metres like tiny, exhausted missiles whose parents just need a second or ten to breathe. Then there is me. I am also crying. I've been crying a lot lately. I'm crying softly and pathetically as I meander through customs and my face is swollen and red from all of the fucking tears. A man approaches me as I wait to board my flight back home. He sympathetically asks me who died if that's the reason why I'm sad. He then puts his hand on my shoulder, apprehensively though, as if following orders on how to be nice to a stranger from some kind of cheap airport brochure, on how to be soft, unthreatening, present, helpful. Nobody died, I tell him. Instead, I am leaving someone, in the most trite and stock phrase way, at the airport, two days before Christmas. I am crying because I am lost, because for the last three years I have been in a relationship with a trickster, with somebody who convinced me I was detestable, a nauseating, ugly, unlikable person with perpetual flaws and failures. I'm leaving an abusive relationship and I know that the minute I step onto that airplane, I will be boundless and frightened and angry and ready. You're listening to Tender, a podcast series that interrogates what happens after the hurt. What happens once women leave when they pursue themselves and their lives again. Once the abusive relationship they were in is done and dusted and they're wiping their nose on a courtesy tissue somewhere over Dubai after watching one too many Owen Wilson films in a place and a time zone that is both yesterday and tomorrow. What happens then? What happens when you decide to start dating again or get your first haircut or tattoo Or God forbid, a dog. What happens when you meet someone else or you move into a bustling share house 
or you put on five kilos? What happens then? What happens after the blocking and the unblocking, the following and the unfollowing, the bad dreams and the self-doubt? And the nights that turn into mornings that turn again into nights when you're deliriously happy and free? And what about the ones when you're not? When you're furious that this happened? That's my mum, describing the moment I first walked through the door and surprised her on Christmas Eve, with bags under my eyes and donned in a skirt I had borrowed from my friend Miriam. For my parents, it had been three long years as well. They were tired and ready to move on. Yeah, when you first started seeing him, I um, had, Dad and I had very big concerns. When you finished it with him and went back to him, there was no way we were going to accept him. The reason I wanted to write this podcast is because I'd read so much about how and when and why to leave, about what is safest and where to look and which questions you should ask and which people you should rely on. I'd read about learning to love myself. I'd screenshotted kitsch hallmark expressions and phrases about deserving love and respect. I'd recite positive affirmations of a morning and go about my day. I felt like a two-legged TED talk with a pulse and a gym membership. I was mistaken in thinking that I was unique and alone in this situation. One in three American women experiences domestic violence. Hey guys, or welcome back. Thanks for joining me for another video. So, this week I am super excited about this week's topic. I get a lot of messages from people How do I get out of an emotionally abusive relationship? How do I end this relationship? I want to end it. And what do you I'm do stuck. if you're in a romantic relationship with somebody who physically, emotionally, or sexually abuses you? It's possible that you don't even recognize the fact that you're being abused. He'd worked his way back into your life before. Um, so, yeah, there was more, I was more fearful of that happening again. He had a big spell on you. Like, he was, he had this ability to... I don't know, like even we fell under that spell a little bit, you yeah. know, like I just, he wasn't right, there was something wrong and, you know, it was just one of those things, it's hard to, it's hard for parents to watch that happen. There were online communities I was and still am a part of that quite literally coached me out of his tiny university dorm and into the sterile nothingness of Heathrow Airport. There were friends who lent me money and friends who housed me for days until I was ready to crawl back into my parents' home, embarrassed and tired and lonely. I just hope, just hope like hell that the consequences of, of that were going to be okay. We knew it wasn't going to work when you got on a plane to go there. Yep. But then time passed and kept passing. And there was so much more left to figure out.
In a way, when that man at the airport asked me if someone I loved had passed, it was onto something. I was mourning myself. I knew that the minute I stepped onto that plane, there'd be no going back to who I was. She was done, gone. And so I boarded the plane like a nervous student who had just graduated from abuse with first-class honours and no backup plan. It was time to figure out who the hell I was. Stage one, a new haircut. Beauty trend alert, it's all about the bob in Hollywood right now. In some ways, this felt like a cheap gesture. I sat in a friend's bathroom as she held a sharp pair of kitchen scissors and hacked my hair off, kind of hopelessly before the two of us drank wine and laughed and sauntered home. I felt like I had joined the ranks of other distressed and unsteady women standing before a mirror the same way Lena Dunham's character did in Girls, as she patiently anticipated an enormous breakdown. But I was out of there. I had severed ties, hair ties and actual ones. The breakup or breakdown had happened. And with all of this brokenness looming over me like a callous pressure, like a tight drawn back ponytail, it seemed necessary to start again. Also, I think I suit short hair, and he, well, he didn't like it short. Perhaps it was kind of that simple. If you were interested in sponsoring Tender or just getting in touch, please feel free to email me on madisongriffiths at live.com.au or find me on Twitter and Instagram. And if you like the sound of this first episode, why don't you subscribe so that you're able to stay well and truly up to date with my escapades. I want to thank my mother, Sharani Griffiths, for her help and generosity in the making of this first episode, as well as Paul Mikhail Podosky, a supportive force who you will definitely meet in future episodes. Next time on Tender, I think about dating again, as in putting myself out there. And for me, that looks like the embodiment of one of those amusing animal videos where a wild coyote or something walks on grass for the first time in years and doesn't really know what to do with her feet. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know if people will be nice and I'm scared. Also, I get a phone call from the last person I want to hear from. I'm Madison Griffiths. Thank you for listening. And please, stay tuned.